0: Good morning, everyone. If you have your Bible with you, turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Uh, My name is Roy True, in case you don't know me. And uh, I'm not the pastor here, but um, Pastor Brady, our pastors down here, uh, has uh, allowed me the privilege of speaking to you this morning. So uh, we're gonna look at a passage from Matthew 16, We're eight days into the new year right now, so let me ask you, how many people uh, made one or more New Year's resolutions? Okay, a few. I don't know if uh, the rest of you just aren't willing to admit it. Actually, last year, in 2016, uh, I made a resolution not to make any resolutions this year. So I'm working on that. I'm doing good so far. Um, But then I could ask also, how many people have already broken your New Year's resolution? I won't ask you to lift your hand on that one. Um, or maybe, um, like we heard last week, the number one resolution is to be a better person. If you made a, a resolution like just to improve in something, how are, have you taken any steps to do that yet? Or, you know, how's that coming? Or are you still the same person you were before you made it? Um, If you, here's what I find, and again, I didn't make any resolutions this year because I'm keeping the one from last year, but uh, what I, I, I'm thinking about I need to eat more healthy and lose a few pounds and those sort of things. So uh, I'm just going to eat, try to eat better and exercise. But then Friday at work, the secretary brings a big thing of uh, chocolate chip cookies, right? So uh, I'll just have one because one won't hurt. So I ate one, and man, they were good. So uh, next time I went back by her desk, I ate another one, because one won't hurt. And uh, then I came by later, and I'm like, well, just one won't hurt, all right? But and it's true, one won't matter, but eight or ten that matters. I'm not saying I ate that many, but uh, no one no one has it on film, so uh, I won't know. Well, the reason uh, we do those things, the reason we break our New Year's resolutions or we don't really act to fulfill them is because of our thinking. Like, I think one won't hurt with the cookies. And that's true, but if you keep telling yourself that, then it all adds up. You're not thinking right. You have to think, hey, i got to quit eating these cookies or I'm not going to lose weight. I'm going to keep gaining weight. And the Bible has a lot to say about our mind and the way we think and um, how our actions are affected by our mind, by what we think. 2 Corinthians 10.5 talks about taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above. Not just think about them occasionally, but have your mind set on things above. What's the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. So the Bible has a lot to say about our minds. In fact, Romans 12, 2 says that the way we're transformed, if we don't want to be like the world, the way we're transformed is by renewing our minds. So spiritual warfare starts in the mind. Um, There's an old saying that goes, um, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. And it all starts in your mind. It all starts with our minds. So let's look at um, Matthew chapter 16, starting with verse 21. And this is Jesus, well, okay, we'll, we'll just read it. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men then Jesus said to his disciples if anyone would come after me he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever wants to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for me will find it what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul or what can a man give in exchange for his soul for the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word. I pray that uh, today you would use it to touch our hearts and our minds and to help us to examine the way we think and the things we think about and to... Make a commitment to think your things, to think the things of God, not the things of man, like Peter. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. In verse 21, we see that Jesus had his mind on the things of God. He tells his disciples, I must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the religious leaders and be killed and in three days rise again. And notice that Jesus says I must do that. Not I think this might happen or I'm thinking about doing it. He says I must do this. I must go to Jerusalem. And the reason that he must do this, the reason he was compelled to do this was because it's God's will. It was God's plan. Peter said when he was preaching a sermon in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, that Jesus was killed by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Uh, Revelation 13:8 says that Jesus was the Lamb slayed from the foundation, slain from the foundation of the world. So before the world was even created, God came up with this plan. And the plan involved his son, being born of a virgin living a human life dying on a cross to pay for our sins so that was god's plan uh, that's why jesus had to do it it wasn't just fate it wasn't some accident or some you know bad turn of history it was god's plan and he didn't do it reluctantly in john chapter 12 he was talking to his disciples and he said you know the hour of my death is near it's about time for me to be killed. And he said, should I try to escape from this hour? No, it's for this hour that I came into the world. That was the purpose of his coming. Uh, Matthew 20:28. 20, he said, Jesus said, the Son of Man, which is his name for himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So it was God's plan That's why he said, I must go do it. But the other reason that he said that I must go do it is because that was the only way for sinners to be saved. For Jesus to die and rise again is the only way for us to be saved. If he hadn't done that, we would be without hope. Uh, We can't save ourselves. Um, Ephesians 2.3 says that we're by nature, by our very nature, we're deserving of wrath. We're born with a sin nature. We're sinners from birth. David said in Psalm 51, I was sinful at birth. We've inherited the sin nature from our first father, Adam, and we're sinners, and God cannot just overlook sin. Um, Sin has to be paid for. It's like this. Um, This is the reason or well, this is an illustration of why God can't just overlook your sin. Uh, let's say that you, co- you go home after church today, and you, um, when you get to your house, you see some people who aren't you don't know, and they're not supposed to be there, and they're loading up your TV into their uh, pickup truck, and they're loading some other stuff. So you call the police, the police come, they arrest the guys, um, the guys admit, yeah, we broke in, we were stealing the stuff, they go to court, they plead guilty, and the judge says, don't worry about it, Just you're free to go. Would that be a just judge? Would that be a good judge? Is that the judge you want to have in your case where you're the victim? No, of course not. Well, God is much more, infinitely more holy and righteous than any earthly judge. And he can't just overlook sin. There has to be a payment for sin. So that means either we have to pay for our sins eternally or Jesus paid for our sins for us. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 2.24 He bore our sins in his body on the tree. Jesus didn't just die on our behalf, he died in our place. You know, that should have been me hanging on that tree, but Jesus took my place and paid for my sins so that I could have eternal life. And that's why he said, I must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the rulers of the law and be killed and on the third day rise again. And then Peter comes along. Um, Peter never really ceases to amaze me. (laughs) He comes along and says he takes Jesus aside. Verse 22. Peter took him aside. So I kind of envision this. Peter puts his arm around him. Hey, Jesus, I want to talk to you. And he says, never, Lord. This will never happen to you. And at this point, you just want to ask Peter, what were you thinking when you did that? Um, This will never happen to you. Peter and the Jews of his age had this uh, picture of a Messiah. They were under Roman Roman rule, under Roman bondage. So they had a picture, an idea of a Messiah who would come and free them from the Romans tyranny and be become king over Israel and king over the whole world and set up an earthly physical kingdom and be the ruler. And that's going to happen someday, but that's not what was happening at this time. So he, Peter begins to rebuke Jesus. That's some audacity there. And he says, this will never happen to you because he's expecting A physical earthly Messiah to come and set up a physical earthly kingdom where they will have health, wealth, and prosperity, and everything will be great. Um, He didn't understand that in order for Jesus to offer us real, um, eternal peace and freedom, that he had to die. And he didn't understand because instead of listening to Jesus, he was thinking that he already knew it all. Um, he, he he didn't realize that God's plan is suffering first, then glory. So in verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. So Peter was not, he was thinking the things of man. Now, what does that mean? He was thinking about physical things, things right now. A physical, earthly kingdom, and why does Jesus call him Satan? Because he's uh, saying the things, he's playing the role of Satan. It's in if you look back to Matthew chapter four, verses eight and nine, uh, when Satan was tempting Jesus. Matthew, fact chapter four is the temptation of Jesus. Satan tempted him three times. One of the temptations was. Hey, look, he took him up uh, somewhere high, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to Jesus, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms of the world. And what he was offering Jesus was the rule of all the kingdoms, the glory without the suffering. And that's the same thing Peter was doing. Hey, you're going to be king. You're not going to suffer. Same idea. So Jesus calls him Satan. So when we're not thinking the things of God, we're a stumbling block, like Peter was a stumbling block. Uh, we're, we're a stumbling block to the gospel. We hinder, we're in front blocking it, hindering the gospel instead of helping it. We should be following Jesus. The, import, the proper place of a disciple is following his leader, not in front of him, uh, being a stumbling block. So Jesus always thought the things of God but Peter was thinking the things of man. Now how do we think God's thoughts? How do we know what God's thoughts are? Because Peter, I'm sure he didn't uh, say that to Jesus because he thought, hey, I got something dumb to say now. (laughs) He he thought that's what, you know, God's plan was, but Peter was wrong. If you look back a little bit back in chapter 16, at verse 13 Jesus asked his disciples who do people say the son of man is and they said some say John the Baptist some say Elijah some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets but what about you Jesus asked who do you say that I am Simon Peter answered you are the Christ the son of the living God Jesus replied blessed are you Simon son of Jonah for this was not revealed to you by man but by my father in heaven and this the, the, the uh, incident we're reading where Peter tried to rebuke him was just like a few minutes later. So we get this Peter saying, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, yeah, blessed are you. You got that right. That was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. And then a few minutes later, Peter says, no, you're not going to suffer. You're not, you got it all wrong, Jesus. And so Jesus said, you're thinking the things of man. And it's, so thinking of the things of God is not a once-for-all thing, I can tell you that. It's a constant battle that we have to fight all our lives. But how do we know what God's thoughts are? How did Peter know Jesus was the Messiah? Jesus said it was revealed to you by the Father. So we have somewhere God's thoughts revealed to us. That would be in the Bible. So... um, Psalm 119, 105 says your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It teaches us what to do and what to think. Second Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped. In the word of God, we have what we need to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We have what we need to know to serve God. We have the thoughts of God in the Bible, everything we need. So, in the last couple of weeks, the church has been giving out those New Testaments and we're gonna read through the New Testament as a group, as a church in February and March. So I wanna encourage you to do that with us. Be active in that with us because we need to get the Word of God into our lives. The more we get the Word of God into our lives, the more we'll think the thoughts of God and we won't say dumb stuff, we won't be a stumbling block like Peter. We'll be following the Lord instead of in front of him. Um, So then uh, Jesus goes on and talks to the disciples, starting in verse 24, about what thinking the things of God involves. Verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Here's another must. Jesus said, if you wanna follow me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. There's no other way. You cannot be a follower of Jesus without taking up your cross and denying yourself and following him. What does it mean to deny yourself? Well, basically, at its root, the word deny means just to say no to. So it means to say no to yourself. We have to say no to our own desires, what we want, and yes to what Jesus wants. We have to deny ourselves, and then we have to take up our cross and follow him. And let's, I, I want to think a little bit about what it means to take up your cross. You hear people say, everybody has their cross to bear, right? And uh, it's not your spouse, I'll tell you that right now. (laughs) We all have our cross to bear. What does that mean? Uh, You know, uh, I've heard people use that from everything, a a grumpy spouse or whatever, um, a sickness, uh, you know, a bad job, bad boss, whatever. It's none of those things. When Jesus said to his disciples, you have to take up your cross and follow me, how would people in the first century in Israel hear that statement? What would they think when they heard that? Today, a cross is a a piece of jewelry or maybe a tattoo you get. But in that day, it was an instrument of capital punishment. Uh, if If you were carrying a cross, that meant you're going to die. You're carrying your cross, you're gonna be nailed on it and killed. So the cross was a symbol of capital punishment. Um, Who would carry a cross in that day? I tell you who would carry a cross, somebody who was condemned to death. Um, And crucifixion was so horrible that Roman citizens weren't crucified. It was reserved mostly for um, you know, heinous criminals, people who committed really bad crimes, and especially rebellion or insurrection against the government. So if you, if you uh, rebelled against the government, if you tried to overthrow the government, the Romans would have you carry your cross out to the place of execution, nail you to it, and kill you on a cross. So if you look at, the, if you look at that as, as a metaphor, Jesus is telling us to carry our cross. We are by nature, the Bible says, enemies of God. We're enemies of the state We're by nature. We're not born as friends of God or citizens of God's kingdom. And uh, we have to bury our cross and we have to follow Jesus And the person you would follow when you're carrying a cross would be the executioner. You're putting your life in his hands. He has your life in his hands. So we, as enemies of God, have to take up our cross, follow Jesus, who has our life in his hands, and give our life up to him. Uh, And that's the only way to be saved, is to give our life up to Christ. But also it's something we as Christians have to do over and over, every day. Um, When Luke records this, he adds the word daily. He adds the the detail that Jesus said, you must take up your cross daily and follow me. And so we have to follow Jesus and take up our cross daily, deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. And then in verse 25, he says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. And that is the exact opposite of our natural thinking. Right? Our natural thinking is uh, I gotta do whatever, whatever I possibly can to preserve my life. I have to look out for number one. You know, I gotta do everything possible to save my life. But the, Jesus says if you wanna think the things of God, you gotta think the opposite of that. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it in this world, but whoever gives up his life for me will find it, will save it. Peter was thinking, hey, you're not going to suffer. We're not going to suffer. We're going to immediately, you're going to set up your kingdom. Everything's going to be glorious. I'm going to be one of your top guys, and things are good. But that's not what, that was not God's plan And Jesus told them that was wrong. And then, uh, actually there are three, Jesus gives three reasons why we should take up our cross. That was the first one. Because if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for Christ, you'll find it. The second one in verse 26, For what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? The second reason is because your soul is more valuable than anything in the world. What will it profit you if you gain the whole world yet forfeit your soul or lose your soul? Um, What if you had all the money in the world? What if you owned everything? If you had all the gold, silver, all the jewels, if you, had, um, if you owned all the buildings, if you were, had all the money, everything in the world belonged to you, and you let yet you lost your soul, what, what value would it be? You would have a temporary wealth and give it all up for eternal uh, eternity with nothing, no possessions. But I don't think this uh, applies just to money, just to wealth. Yeah, I think it applies to other things too. Um, Charles Windall says that there are four major goals of the world, the world system, and four major uh, areas of temptation for us. And they are fortune, fame, power, and pleasure. First and foremost, fortune, money, The world system is driven by money. It feeds on materialism. Second, fame. That is another word for popularity. Fame is a longing to be known, to be somebody in someone's eyes. Third, power. This is having influence, maintaining control over individuals or groups or companies or whatever. It is the desire to manipulate and maneuver others to do something for one's own benefit. Fourth, Pleasure, at its basic level, pleasure has to do with fulfilling one's sensual desires. It's the same mindset that's behind the slogan, if it feels good, do it. So those four things appeal to, uh, those are the four main things that appeal to people as a group, all people. Not that there aren't other things, not that there aren't other temptations, uh, but those are the four most powerful. We already talked about money. Uh, What about power? If you had all the power in the world and you could just snap your fingers and people would do whatever you want, everyone would do whatever you want, but you forfeit your soul, what good would that be? Um, Maybe um, fortune is the one that appeals to you. Popularity. You want everyone to like you. What if everyone did like you in the whole world, and you're the most famous person, but no crazy stalkers? Um, but everyone loved you, and, uh, you know, everywhere you went, people bought you lunch because they loved you. and um, You had all the fame in the world, but you forfeit your soul and spend an eternity in hell in isolation with no friends, no one to talk to and no one who loves you, what would it value you? What value would it be? What if, yours is, what if pleasure appeals to you the most? Let's say you could have the, spend the rest of your life with in every moment in pleasure, enjoying everything to the utmost, but you lose your soul and you spend eternity in absolute torment with no more pleasure ever again what value would it be? And to forfeit your soul means to spend an eternity alone in darkness, in isolation, in despair, completely helpless and completely hopeless. And at that point, what value would any of the earthly things be? And then Jesus asked, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I tell you, at that point, you would be willing to give up everything you ever had to buy back your soul, and it would be too late. Another reason that we must take up our cross and follow him is in verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. The third reason that we need to take up our cross and follow Jesus is because he is coming to reward us or repay us for what we've done on this earth. And it, verse 27 says, "The Son of man is going to come." But that could be translated, he is definitely going to come. There's no doubt he's coming back someday. And he's going to repay every person for what they've done on this earth. Revelation 22:12 says, behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Uh, Romans 2, 6 through 8, God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 says, "'Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and hell gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire." So someday, if your name is not written in the book of life, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, you're going to stand before a great white throne and be judged according to all the works you've done and be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. Now let me tell you, this judgment does not determine whether you go to heaven or hell. That's already determined in in this life here before you die. If you accept Christ as your savior, if you turn your life over to Christ, if you repent of your sins and trust in him, then you're saved. If you don't do that, you're lost forever. You'll be judged according to your works, but your your punishment will be uh, dependent on your works, but your salvation is not dependent on works. The only way to be saved, again, is by faith in Christ for his substitutionary death on the cross for us. He died in my place. I trust in that and I have eternal life. Not because I deserve it. Not because I've worked hard to earn it. You can't earn it. I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. I'll tell you that. But because I trust in Christ as my savior, he became sin for me so that I might become the righteousness of God in him. But for Christians, we're going to face a judgment seat too. And again, it doesn't determine uh, whether we go to heaven or hell. Christ has already taken our judgment, our eternal punishment. But 2 uh, Corinthians 5.10 says that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may, give it, may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. 1 Corinthians 3.11, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or stubble, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, that is, your work will be tried by fire, not you. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss but will be saved, even though as, only as one escaping through the flames. So as Christians, we will have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ as well. And all our works will be judged. Uh, I believe what we, whatever we've done from the time that we were saved, all those works will be judged. And whatever our good works, gold, silver, and precious stones, will make it through the fire. And those will be the rewards we receive in heaven. And all the the bad things we've done, all the pointless, meaningless things we've done will be burned up. And we'll be saved. But kind of like somebody who just went through a fire. So... In, in the Gospel of Matthew, in, in the Bible as a whole, but particularly in Matthew, there are only two kinds of people. You see it through the whole thing. Through the whole Gospel. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7 talks about um, two kinds of, two, there are two roads. There are two gates. There's a narrow gate and there's a wide gate. There are two roads. There's a narrow road and a wide road. And there are two destinations only two. You're in one of those groups. And here in chapter 16, we see that there are two ways to think. You can think the things of God, or you can think the things of man. So I want to challenge you this week to examine yourself and see how, how much am I thinking the things of God. And that thinking the things of God is what Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And that's something we have to do over and over. It's a challenge every day, every minute. Because like Peter, one minute is saying, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And just a few minutes later, he's a stumbling block to Jesus. He's thinking the wrong things. If we want to have a victorious Christian life, it starts with what we're thinking. And uh, we have to be thinking the things of God not the things of man. And again, that's a constant battle over and over. Let's pray. Lord, forgive us for all the times that we've uh, just ignored your word or um, not paid attention to it, misunderstood it, think the things of God, and put ourselves first put our earthly desires first. For all the times that we've failed to say no to ourselves and we've said no to you instead. I pray that uh, in this new year that we would make a concerted effort to put your word into our hearts and into our minds so we could think the things that you want us to think. That we would not um, think the things of man. We would not think earthly thoughts, but heavenly thoughts. That we would be willing every day to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you. And we would keep in mind the eternal things, that our soul is more valuable than anything, and that you're coming to reward us someday, and maybe soon. We hope soon, Lord. I pray that if there's anyone here who's never accepted you as their Savior, never said, for the first time, I'll deny myself and take up my cross and follow you, that you would work in their hearts today and convict them of their sins, give them the gift of repentance and the gift of faith that they may be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.